We are we are live. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. We're actually live. In other words, if someone was listening, they'd be able to listen to this now. Well, we're 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 working on the the live streaming right oh, now, okay. but, we're, but we're recording live to, okay. to 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 Skype tape. Sorry, did I just mess that up for you? No, not at all. The <laughs> I think the illusion has been broken a long time ago. <laughs> But uh, sitting across from me via the magic of, of Skype is the multi-talented, multifaceted, wonderful uh, Miss Maureen Friedman, uh, scene designer, costume designer, artist extraordinaire. I want to say it's fantastic to see you. Um, I hopefully this makes up for our once a year um, meeting in which we only talk for about a day and a half and then don't talk for another year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and again, it's fantastic to hear you. It's fantastic to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and thank you for having me. It was a lovely surprise getting your uh, message. Well, good, good. I my my goal is uh, recently is to try and be a little bit more of getting back in touch with people because I feel like we've all kind of disappeared over the off the map a little bit and. If I don't want it to be an out of sight, out of mind, because I want to make sure that I get to get to reconnect because you're doing amazing work. And I wanted to tell you that as well. Thank you. It's funny you say that. I was thinking about it. You travel to different countries and continents and you meet all these people and the world to some degree seems smaller, but precisely because there are those distances and you're not seeing someone on a regular basis, you accumulate a greater circle of friends and colleagues, but you don't see them as much. It, it, it's true. We, you know, they, they, even though we have all this technology, we, we, we talk so little to one another. Now it's via social media, text, chat, whatever it may be. But, true. but, but that's not why we're here, folks. We're here to, 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 to talk about you and your work and i it would be great if you could to to the audience which is a kind of a worldwide audience as it's been growing uh tell them something a little bit about yourself what you do uh your work uh so my name is maureen friedman um in the industry i think people will call me a sonographer because i design both set costumes for performance um I think how I see myself has changed over time and because of different avenues that I've pursued besides strictly design. I'd like to think that I encourage people to be problem solvers and to be curious and to uh, become storytellers in their own right as well. I like to think that when I work in the traditional capacity, if you like, of a designer for performance, that I'm an active participant in creating spaces and characters using costumes and setting as uh, a means to an end. Uh, over the past few years, I've also added teaching artists to what I do. And I use the traditional, or not necessarily traditional, but uh, design process to encourage students to think 
in a slightly different way about regular curricular classes. I work together with teachers in the class to basically get the students off their feet, not necessarily putting on a theatrical production, but using those skill sets to learn regular classes, whether it's English or math, anything like that. Uh, I've also added some craft work to my resume. Initially, I steered away from that, and that was mostly upon advice that I received. If you want to be a designer, stick to design. If you want to be a maker, stick to making. Um, it started out more as a necessity in going into the design and supplementing that. And I found that I can actually do both in parallel. So I've also be, um, been working on that end in crafts and millinery. So that kind of describes what I do uh, in, in the theatre world, in the design world. Uh, I've branched out as much as possible into opera and film as well. I found that I really like the aspect of physical theatre and dance, so I've been seeking out those avenues. Um, personally, I was born in South Africa, grew up in Israel, travelled to England, came home, travelled to Australia, came home. <laughs> travel to America and um, I just received confirmation uh, for my continued stay here for in the next few years so that's where I'm going to be <laughs> yay we love it we love it I'm thrilled I'm thrilled because I remember when we first met which was in Houston Texas I believe at the yeah. at the USITT event and you were I don't want to say bemoaning, but you were you were going through the the challenges of not only trying to be consistent with design work, which you which you felt was fulfilling to you, but you had also had the challenges of of continuing to stay in the in the United States. Um, I think it's fantastic. It's great. Um, I, I I cannot add any more superlatives to that. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. I remember that I just I hadn't yet graduated uh, from my course here, and it was I think just realizing the enormity of <laughs> having to face the real world. <laughs> I I I I I remember having a conversation or two with you about it. Actually, it wasn't a conversation; it was more of me listening. Well, um, you remember better than me. I've moved on. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's what we decide to latch on to. Um, you, you, uh, you said that you have, uh, you have traveled quite a bit um, in, in, in your beginnings. Um, again, as you said, born in South Africa, raised in Israel, but you've lived abroad in many places um, and now have, have settled in the U.S. Uh, what have you uh, learned in, in, this, in this big journey that you've had to get you here today? Um, I think how insular we become when we live and grow up in the same um, areas with the same people around us. It was, I remember it being quite tough going home after being away for a while and realizing how much I had changed, being exposed to a totally different culture and different circumstances and how much people I knew had changed as well because uh, I suppose time had passed and their exposure and their experience had changed. 
I think a lot of it also had to do specifically going into the area of theatre and because it's changing, because every time you work with different people, because every time you're approaching a text or a piece of music or a piece of movement, it forces you to then do research that's relevant to that piece, whether it's uh, in context or visual. And it forces you out of what would normally be your comfort zone because it's not necessarily a text that, well, in my case, it usually isn't a text that I have written. So therefore, you're trying to understand a different thought, a different background. And in doing that, you are exposed to sometimes a totally different take on life, whether it's in a certain period or your own. And... Um, it then makes you a lot more aware of different people and a lot more interested, I think, in hearing people's story. Um, so I think that was a big change. It also forces you, certainly if you want to be an active participant in any production or performance, to have an opinion. And I think when I first left, I was very polite. I was very cautious about using the word I, I think. It was always that very polite we or one. And then you learn two things. One, you're actually not really being polite because you're forcing an idea on a group of people who may not think that they're part of that we. But it forces you to back that opinion up. It forces you to have one if you want to have some sort of ownership of the final product. So I think that definitely changed in me. Uh, I think being also leaving and being on my own, the first time was a shock. I thought it'd be fine because I knew the language and that's when I realized that's all I had in common was the language. Uh, but the subtext that people who come from a similar background have was different to mine. So having to understand what people meant when they say what they say, um, actually living among people as opposed to just reading about a place was different. And I think that made me a lot more open, a lot more accepting, a lot more tolerant, and I think more patient as well. I'm more interested in people, more curious about what was going on around me and why. And then other things, certainly when I started uh, working with uh, The Roundabout as a teaching artist, I went in there quite hesitant. I had mentored before and I taught before, but very much on a one-to-one -one basis. I'd never actually walked into a classroom. And what surprised me there was that it, it didn't only impact the kids I was working with, but it had an impact on me. It both, I think, forces you to maybe better understand your own craft because now you're not only explaining it to yourself, you have to explain it to a group of people who may not have any background whatsoever in the subject matter. It forces you to be more flexible and adapt because the group that you're working with, the age group, where they come from, the teacher that you're working with has a different agenda. And the surprising thing was that I walked away, I think, having a lot more self-confidence. It forces you to stand up in front of a group of people who are all staring at you and be able to command that class to earn their respect. So I came away from that with 
more personal confidence and I think it also forced me to be a lot more articulate in order to be able to explain things in a way that other people will understand. All right. Is there, uh, there, there have probably been small stepping stones along the way in this journey. And I mean, now that you have time of hindsight, uh, you look, you, at the time they may have seemed difficult or you didn't want to go through it, but in turn that stepping stone prepared you for the, whatever it was to come. Um, I know that I, I speak for myself in that I've had a couple of those experiences and it wasn't until later, which I went, I'm glad I went through that previous experience because right now I have to use that skill to, to deal with, with what, where my current situation is. Um, you speak about uh, being in a different culture or having only a commonality of language. And if there is a very humbling experience for, for myself, I, I, I can only speak for, was coming here to Trinidad where for the first year I was stuck in my head as I'm an American and not allowing myself to engage with the the people and the places and, and things like that. And it's very easy to get trapped into an insular little world. You know, you only hang out with uh, expatriates or you only hang out in certain areas or things like that. And it, it took some time, but one of the things that I know that I had to work very diligently at was putting my Americanness aside. I, I, I say that in which I say, I know I'm American. I mean, that's not going to change. It's, it's all over my face, but I'm okay with being like, let's go here. Let's go there. You tell me, tell me. Cause I now I have to be curious. Now I have to figure it out. I get made fun of and you know, rightfully so. I mean, this isn't necess- this isn't my country. <laughs> You know, it's okay. My my students, my, my students make fun of how I say things all the time. You know, even even simple words they make fun of me. But you know, but I'm glad that they do because it it I feel like it bonds us a little bit together, and and you know Trinidad has grown on me in in many ways. Um, you know, I mean certainly there are certain commonalities of you know politics and governments and bad people and all the kind of things that go along with it. But once you kind of div- divide that from from what's really happening, whether it be culturally, artistically, um, you know, the, you know, it's it's really an amazing place, which, uh, you know, I, I never planned on on being here ever. It never crossed my mind. And now it's now I'm going into my seventh year being here. And, you know, it's it's the, only the second place I've been that I've lived this long, you know, other than other than, you know, obviously living in the States, you know, I, you know, it's seven years of my life in which I've had an amazing experience and a very enriching experience. And I go home now and America is very different to me in, in the way that I perceive it. Uh, that sounds you left for Trinidad is uh, roughly around the same time I arrived here. Um, well, yes, I get laughed at here because of the words I use and my accent. Uh, I mean, I knew there was a difference between the English I spoke and the English here. But yes, I remember, you know, the first time I came here and asking if I could get a lift and being asked how high because it's called a ride here. 
or thinking ah. about a lift instead of an elevator or an interval instead of an intermission and no one could understand what I was speaking of. And sometimes I just don't, don't ask for tomatoes because tomatoes just sounds really weird for me to say and <laughs> don't understand. Uh, I changed the intonation in my voice just so that people don't understand me sometimes. But um, I think my, my accent is also changed slightly just because of the places I've lived in anyway. Um, I, I haven't really, oh, I think I, I maybe have been a little bit opposite from you in that sense. When we left South Africa, I was very small and I don't think I realized the political context of that. I was just excited to be going somewhere, somewhere new. Um, the whole idea, I had been on an airplane before, but it was just a totally different experience knowing that this was going to be a different country with a different language and uh, different people. I think for me, ever since I can remember, I've been somewhat of a loner. So going to new places and just, you know, being plonked anywhere and figuring my way around has been okay. It hasn't necessarily been the most comfortable in all instances. Um, I think going to school, I was very fortunate. People were curious. They, I wasn't bullied or anything, so that certainly helped, I think, build my confidence in going to new places. Um, when I went, I think, leaving home the first time as a grown-up, um, well, actually, it wasn't entirely the first time. I was 16 years old and it was time I felt to leave home. So we had a slight negotiation at home and I was allowed to go to Australia to live with my grandparents. And that was the first time, really, it was a day-to-day -day living without being at home. And again, I was very fortunate. Uh, the kids at school accepted me. And that was an experience. The next time I left, I... Um, I had gone to Italy for a few months. I, that was when I was thinking of studying design and art. And I had the opportunity to go and learn the language. And I purposefully sought not to connect with um, Israelis or English speakers because I wanted to learn the language. And I remember limiting the amount of time I would email back so that any conversation with home, uh, which I really wanted, but was limited to that. And everywhere else I preferred to stay with people when I was in Italy who didn't feel comfortable talking English because I knew that that was the only way I was going to learn the language. Uh, at, when I was at home outside of uh, classes I would listen to programs in Italian. I would purposefully put on the news um, that was during the day for people who had impaired hearing because they would speak slower and they would have the same written uh, subtitles on the screen. Um, sometimes I'd go and see a movie. They had a lot of American schools there. So there were movies that were either in a language dubbed into English or remained in English. And sometimes what I would do is I'd go and see the film, but then I'd go and see the same film in Italian. And the guy at the movie place always used to laugh at me. And he was a little curious why I always used to come and see movies on my own. And part of the reason was because I didn't want <laughs> people talking to me while I was watching this movie so I could really understand what was going on. So uh, while it was an uncomfortable situation to be in and every time I go to a new place, whether it's a new country, whether it's a new production, and especially if I'm joining 
a core team where they invite guests, artists in, I always feel nervous. I always feel like I really don't want to go there. And that three-year-old me comes out and I just push myself through it because usually there's an end goal that I'm more interested in, which is knowing something I didn't know before, um, meeting people who I might actually like to work with, uh, finding out about how I can push myself out of what comes naturally to me. Um, I will say there are days where I just want to do what I know that I'm good at and I want to get the compliment because I really need that support on that day. But, you know, when you're saying looking back at things, well, sometimes the journey can be painful. The end result when you've figured out that solution, when you've pushed through it, can be immensely satisfying. Mm-hmm. So I think each instance when I moved out of home has contributed to that. Um, I still make mistakes. I still sometimes feel that I repeat them. It's never an easier journey. Um, This probably moving to the States and moving to England were the two major moves. And I think having gone through the shock of first moving to England certainly helped me understand what I was in for coming here. Um, I don't really, I think there's also a conscious choice on my part to look back at those experiences, take what I've learned and think about it in a positive way because there's no point in you regretting it. I made that choice. I made that move. Those were the circumstances I had to deal with. Sometimes the way I dealt with them was better than others. Um, I can only move forward and hope that I make better choices, if that makes any sense. Um, I'd say, looking back at maybe smaller instances, one of the experiences which I take for granted, and I think many Israelis do, was my military service. It's just something you do and then you move on with life there. It's not necessarily something unique. And I don't think that's why I appreciate it at the time, but I definitely think that skill set of understanding your part as being a small part of a bigger whole, and I'm not talking politically because I think it relates to any circumstances that you have to face, understanding the concept of accountability, I think was a big thing that you may experience in life, but because of the circumstances of being in the military and realizing the consequences of your actions have such an effect on other people, I think that's one big thing that I didn't appreciate at the time but can see in my personal life and my personal work and makes me appreciate more in people uh, that have that same sense of um, looking at the whole, um, looking further than yourself, understanding the impact of what you say and what your actions can have on other people i think uh i think struggle is that part of life you have to rub up against periodically just so that you know you have something that pushes pushes back or pushes you somewhere or invites you into a place that you're not comfortable 
Um, I think if we don't if we don't rub shoulders with struggle, then then what what are we learning? How are we growing? How are we changing? Oh, I definitely believe that intellectually, but I do have to admit that sometimes on a personal level, oh, I look at people and I think, what life manual did you receive that I missed out on? Because sometimes ah. it's like my mom, she had this thing where when she wants to tell me something, but she knows I'm not going to like it, she sends me these comic strips and one of them, <laughs> which was very telling, and she happened to give me at just the right moment was a Garfield comic strip. And um, I don't remember the guy's name, um, but he comes into a space and he calls out to Garfield and uh, Garfield says, I'm here. And he says, where? And Garfield says, behind the couch so or the sofa. And he says, why are you there? And he says, I'm hiding. And he says, well, what are you hiding from? And he says, from life. So, every <laughs> so um, I have to admit that there are those moments where I totally understand that um, I guess life is a series of challenges and sometimes you have to kind of push through them and sometimes you walk around them and you never quite know if the solution is to just walk around a challenge or really take it head on. Uh, and sometimes um, I really don't want to have to deal with it. So I do have to admit to that as well. I mean, ultimately I do. Obviously, I'm here, but internally, every once in a while, I wish I didn't have to. <laughs> I I agree. There there are days where I I come home and I've been like, why am I, why why is the world not understanding what I'm doing? Why do I keep banging my head and no one seems to be listening? And there are days where I want to hide from the world and I go, please stay away from me. Why are you giving me such grief and aggravation? I I don't understand. And uh, I wish my my mother does not send me comic strips, but uh, my my mother my mother always likes to send me these little affirming you know uh, little little pictures or words or something like that, uh, and you know and every so often she'll send me one like yours does that just seems to nail the nail it right on the right on the head, um, and. I think it's it's interesting when you have someone who is outside of you who says, I think they need this, or maybe this this will work, whether you like it or not. Um, I started carrying in my pocket, they sell little mints here. And uh, they, on the plastic wrapper, it has two things. One, it says something very, not pithy, but it says, uh, have a great day, or you're doing well, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing was every mint tells you that it loves you and i say <laughs> and i go you know what i now i feel better i may not be hearing it from my mother or my father or or, or from my relatives on a, on a regular basis but every day this mint tells me that it loves me and i feel a little bit better that's brilliant i need to adopt that you know what? I I will next time I see you, I will carry a, a proper bag for you to 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 have, so that you can <laughs> pick one out every so often, have the mint, and then look at it and know that it loves you, <laughs> and and that you're having a great day. See, there you go. Not a problem. Um, I uh I was I was thinking about this. And that uh, you uh, you've studied in a few different places, um, 
what have you found is is there a continual through line to it do you find like each thing is 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 kind of is there a certain similarity to it or do you find that what you learned in say england and the the way that they present things is very different than the american style um there was a difference um i should preface that this is uh, also i guess my personal take of what i took away from things and also I would not generalize because I went to England and studied at one school. There are many there. I also uh, came to or was invited to the United States and again studied at one school. I was not part of the general program, which I have noticed in talking to people, which is slightly different. Um, I'd also gone to England and only studied at college level. So my high schooling was all in Israel and I did go to university in, in Israel, but studied something totally different. So take that into account um, when I say what I'm about to say. I found that in England, well, first of all, the BA there is very concentrated. Um, you decided on a path that you wanted to do and that's what you spent for those three years. And you could have come out of that and immediately started working. Um, the same thing in Israel. You had to finish everything in high school so that when you went to university, you were studying, even if it were certain subjects that you did study in high school that were relevant, they were already at university level. There was no... Um, college level subjects that you could either do in high school or that you had to repeat once you went to university. The only prerequisite in Israel was that you reached a level of English that if you didn't reach when you first went in, you had to make up for. And here I noticed in the States, even for instance, if you want to go and study theater, there's certain number of units that you have to take in general studies or to make up for. So that was a difference. In England, I found that the particular teaching method which I got, I went to the Wimbledon College of Art, which is now part of the University of Arts London, I felt that the way that we were encouraged to study was a lot more independent. It was very much project-based. There were very few classes where you met on X day at X hour and had to do certain homework towards. Uh, whether it had to do with theatre history or costume history and whether there was that component of uh, writing your, your thesis for that. But very often you had a project, it was outlined what the goals were, what you had to produce and certain dates at which you either met your mentor and had to present the final project. In the US I found that it was a lot more structured. Um, I would have a specific class and while, yes, each one had a mini project, um, each week it was very clear what I had to produce for that week. I had a certain class from X hour to X hour, which um, in a way was easier. Um, I basically it made me less responsible for it because someone else was telling me how to structure my time. On the other hand, I found the workload much greater. Everything was much faster. The amount of work that I had to produce was much greater than I did in England. Um, but that said, I was also doing an MFA. 
um, I think my expectations were a bit different because how I came to America was a very, very quick decision. I didn't really have much time to research the difference. It came with an offer of a full scholarship. And if you could make a fast decision, the year started in three months. So I made a fast decision and landed here in three months time, not quite having researched anything about um, what studying was like here, what life was like here. It was just... I think someone's offering me a gift, so I'm going to take it and see where it leads. So um, I had come from a system where when you did your MA or here you called an MFA, it was very much project led by yourself. You did the research as to why you wanted to go back to school, usually because it would provide certain conditions that maybe outside of school would not allow you to investigate a certain area in your field or aspect of it you would research who like which school would um, have the facilities and the mentors to support you in that investigation here i in talking to people it sounded very much like the mfa was to maybe yes hone in your skills but very much also a networking opportunity i found that people were encouraged to go to different schools than the ones they studied BAs from, um, and the structure, again, was very different to what I expected. Uh, not in a bad way, just a very different way. Uh, what I liked about it, and again, this has to do with the different nature of the schools, when I went to do my BA, it was studying theatre, but in essentially more of an art school environment. Any practical studies was something I sought outside school, whether it were internships, work experience, and projects which gave me a hands-on um, working ability. Versus here, the course was very much geared towards hand-on experience, which is also why I did come here. That, that I did research, that I did know to do um, as part of your curricular activity. So that was, that was a big difference. Did did you always did you see yourself as a uh, a creative person or a curious person or an active imagination when when you were small and you just you you once you realized this is what you wanted to do you you pursued it or did, was this something that you came through in a, in a kind of a different way? I think I came through it in a different way. Um, I never consciously thought of myself of a type of person. Uh, I know I was always interested in different things. I was always interested in how things worked. Um, I was always interested in figuring how to put things together. But I never, I mean, I never really thought about design or costume design or scenic design as certainly as something that existed out there as an occupation. We were always encouraged to um, participate in art classes and extracurricular activities if we could. Um, we were always encouraged to do a range of things, whether it was arts or sports or, or music. Um, I spent uh, quite a lot of the formative years of my life training as a swimmer. So most of my time was consumed with training in the morning at 4.30, 5 o'clock, going to school, coming home, doing homework, getting back in the water, training again in the evening. So it was like a 12-day week. Um, 
So I never really thought outside that. And initially when I went to university, it was, I had all these ideas of these interesting things that I'd want to do. And it honestly, it came down to practicality. It was more of a decision of what profession could I get in the minimum amount of time, which would allow me to go right into that average earner and be able to support myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that came from circumstances. Uh, personal circumstances, seeing the world around me and making that conscious decision. And um, I did that and I worked for a couple of years after that. And I really wanted to do something that would be more visually creative, that would use my mind, but also allow me to use my hands. Uh, I still hadn't thought of theatre. I The first theatre production I saw, I was 19 years old. Most of anything I saw up till then uh, were film and TV. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. I think it may have had to do with the language barrier when we first immigrated Mm. and film and TV were not dubbed. Anyway, I, I thought to look into the arts. And it was odd because everyone said already then, you know, that all these materials amalgamated, it wasn't as if you were a sculptor, it had to do with clay. You could create things with different materials. And, you know, people were looking at projection as a form of sculpture as well. But as soon as you wanted to study it, you were immediately asked, so do you want to go into painting? Do you want to go into sculpture? Do you want to go into photography and so forth? And it was actually when I was in Italy and I was um, investigating the possibility of studying there, I came across the word sonography for the first time. And uh, they had sent me to the Medici houses and said, well, that's sonography, which I think was still a very traditional way of seeing it as painting, scene painting. Mm -hmm. And in talking to some of the students there and then to a cousin of mine, and the cousin of mine said, oh, that's called theatre design. Why don't you look into that? Uh And as soon as that happened, I thought, well, hang on a minute. So you're, you're drafting, you're drawing, you're reading, you're analyzing. It had all these offshoots, which I don't know if it was a cop-out or not, but it seemed that I didn't really have to make a conscious choice. I think working in the industry and seeing how the industry works, to some degree, it forces you that way. Again, how people see you in terms of what role do you want to take on? Do you want to take on the role of designer, maker? Can you take on more than one? Um, That, I think, comes more into play when it comes to finances and how you run yourself as a business but um that's when it opened my world to this idea and I always joke because (laughs) it sounds funny to me now but again growing up on movies if you had said to me oh let's go and see this theatrical production of Hamlet I would probably say to you oh no I've seen it before It didn't occur to me until I started working in theatre that I can look at the very same text and see it differently every single time. And that to me was an eye-opener. That was like, oh, wow. You mean I can make this thing that other people have been doing over and over again my way? I can put it in a different space. I can look at it in a different way. And suddenly it just opened up that sense of possibility. Um, certainly afterwards when you discover the whole idea of new writing and thinking, oh, no one's even never done this before. But even things that people consider classics, you can always make your own. 
So that idea was fascinating to me. And that's how I started looking into theatre. As far as creativity was concerned, a lot of people ask me, well, are you creative enough? And my answer was, well, I don't know, but I'm just going to give it a shot and see what happens. And sometimes um, well I guess it depends like creative or not I think it depends what you know you'd have to ask other people but there was something that remained with me from a class that I once did where we were given this task to join ink which is a difficult medium to join especially if you uh, feel the need to control it and not only that but we were using sticks Mm -hmm. um, to actually move the ink about. Anyway, we put our drawings up and she had asked us all to look at them. And then she said, okay, everyone who has been looking at the drawing to the left and to the right of their picture, please put up your hand. And every single one of us did. And her point that she was making was that you're probably looking at those drawings thinking how wonderful they are compared to your own, partly because you're not part of that thinking process that led to it. You're only seeing the final result. Whereas when you look at your own work, in some way it looks predictable. So sometimes I look at my own work and it does look predictable to me. Um, that's part of the reason I do like it when going back to one of your previous um, questions about pushing yourself and going into those uncomfortable situations of working with new people or new material that you haven't had experience before because while your final product might seem uh, a natural outcome because you've been through all the stages how you got there because of the different influences I think will bring out to you something that might be surprising um, so yeah, I would like to think that. I do think that I still am influenced by my surroundings, um, depending on who I work with. Sometimes uh, if they have a very strong realistic vision, you can push against it a little bit. You can suggest a more conceptual take on things, which is something that I find more interesting because it will appeal to me more to my emotional state um, mm -hmm. not necessarily only feeling but how I experience things um, but I do see in that a challenge as well so some of my work does go down that route um, other work I feel is much more creative especially if I am push towards that conceptual idea because it's less tangible. You can't necessarily touch, see where it starts, where it ends. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, so. I, when, I, when I started getting involved with uh, what I call the international community through OISTAT and USITT and various other things, and I started to uh, get an opportunity to, to meet people who I had not I had no knowledge of, uh, and I remember one of the, uh, the 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 talks that I remember hearing was listening to Pamela Howard talk about uh, sonography and her take on it because she had written a book called "What Is Sonography," and uh, I remember uh, she was I I can't remember if this was in jest but she was going to say I think she was joking about writing a book called what isn't sonography because <laughs> because there there's been a huge 
uh, argument over over that word. It's a, it's a precious word to, to some. Uh, at the World Stage Design in Taipei, uh, they were having a, a discussion about one of the, 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 the groups and using that word. And the, the debate was visceral. You know, there, it was very divided. It was like, no, we are sonographers. This is what we are doing. Designers, that's something else. And then the designers would say, well, this is this is specific. This is what we're talking about. And it, it was it was terrifying to I mean, I'm like, I'm just going to shut up and be in the back <laughs> of the room and listen to these heavyweights, these tigers, you know, slug it out. Uh, but one of the other people that I got to, to listen to was uh, Jean-Guy Lacat. Yes, uh, and it's uh, I uh, and he and Pamela Howard are very funny together. I I feel like they should have an act because <laughs> he, he, he's very he's very funny. He's very casual and and uh, he he uh, I I have one of his books, but I think one of the things that struck me uh, was uh, and was when he said the only thing you really need is a space. What you put in it is entirely up to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know I I I've never thought that way. I've always been like this is a this is you no know, we have to work like this and we worked like that. And I have found that over time I've had to deconstruct and unprogram myself to be like no I can produce this anywhere I can I can explore anything you know even if it is something that as you said people have seen before I can do it however I wish. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that uh, has, has been a challenge for me is what I call the intimidation of genius. And I, I have seen some amazing, amazing scenographic work. And I was in Cardiff uh, for the Oystat 50 event and set up uh, not only in, the, in the, one of the, the lobbies, but also upstairs was the work of uh, uh, Paul Brown. Oh, lovely! Yeah. Oh, I, I I walk I walked in there and I felt so sheepish, because even his even what he would be his kind of like offhanded drawings were were genius. I mean, it was beautiful. It was, it's, I, even even now I you know, I I I feel like there's no way I can, I could ever create something like that. That is someone who is above and beyond. What you were talking about the. You know, you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right and you're comparing them to you. And I, I don't know. I just standing standing in front of something like that, you know, it's it's just it's it's very difficult because I know for myself, I originally I, I got into the arts through music because I, I, I learned how to play an instrument. And I learned how to sing for a little while. And then at some point I got uh, I got involved in the in the in the school theater program. But it's funny you talk about wanting to be a or being a swimmer. It's uh, I I wanted to be a, a baseball player, <laughs> and, but but I'm the type of person that I only realize this a little too late. You know, by the time that window of of getting involved and everything, it's now too late. So I figure I figure when I feel the intuition, I've got to act on it soon enough, as <laughs> or it's gonna be gonna be too late. But. Uh, the uh, the other the other person who really inspired me and he, he recently passed was my friend Edwin Ermini. and he was uh, he was from Venezuela 
and he he had such passion he had he had such a connection um to his art it's like there was no separation between him and whatever he was producing it came out of him it flowed out of him whether it was a simple drawing on a in in his in his notebook or uh, uh something that he was uh drawing at home on sketchup or or something like that you could you could see where he get frustrated when someone said well why don't you just do it like this we, we've always done it like this we want it like this and you could just see that you know, being confined into a box of what people, producers or, or, or people who may not have a lot of experience are saying, well, I saw someone else do it like that, so I want it like that. And I think that's, uh, and I don't know if you have that, have that, have that experience where people are like, can you recreate this or can you, re and that I feel stifles. Uh, yeah, you do get it sometimes. Uh, I will say that it can be equally stifling when someone has seen a piece of your own work and really liked it and wanted to recreate it. And part of you is, well, I figured it out. It would be very easy to go down that route. But uh, one, that was a result of a collaboration with other people. So while even if it started out with an original idea that maybe I did have and they latched onto, the final result has been uh, inspired by and affected by the people I was working with, the people who were performing it, that specific text where it was written music, dance, and the space we were in. Just talking about when you mentioned spaces, I think part of my ability to be flexible comes with working in given spaces that are not your traditional theater spaces, mm. but putting on scripts that sometimes you could tell from the writing were written for a certain space. And how do you deal with that? So rather than looking at a space and thinking, well, it can't give me this, this, and this, you think about and say, yes, but what can it give you? So if you look on the positive side, and it's funny you mentioned it, just talking, I think I remember when that occurred to me we were doing a dance piece at the place and they had something called white christmas and they'd gone into the space and painted this entire black box white and so many times i'd worked with and um, more specifically lighting designers who when presented with a white space would get very nervous and having seen this production i thought well if you're gonna and I, i'll take lighting designers out of it scenic designs, costume designs, because that's what I mostly do. If you're going to work in it as if you're working in a black box, yes, you're forcing something that it doesn't quite accept. But if you work in it like a white space, well, create those shadows. Have one person in space, but have a conversation with your lighting designer, have a conversation with your sound designer, and put a crowd on stage, even though you're only costuming one person. Uh, think about how that object in space relates to what you have. I've also found myself working in spaces where you have what they call, uh, well, it's essentially a platform in a recital hall where you don't have legs, where all the lighting fixtures are gonna be visible, where, well, maybe make the orchestra part of it, use the architecture towards your advantage and see what that gives you. Cause it's gonna give you something different than you would in your traditional space. Uh, you're gonna have that conversation with the director because now they have the option to basically block it in the round, uh, in traverse, however, which way. So it does give you, give you other opportunities which your traditional space doesn't. 
Um, so I, I'd say that while it can be frustrating when you're asked to design like someone else, two things arise. One, even before you've started thinking personally, and that's something that I think will hit a nerve with a lot of designers, is the idea of copyright. Um, you can be inspired by something, and I think we all are. Whenever I do my research, I'm presenting visual imagery. Not all that visual imagery has come from my head, and I'm sure that even if it has, it's because I've seen something, experienced something, read something before. Um, I'm not inventing from nothing. But there's a big difference between being inspired by someone's work and actually copying it or reproducing it as closely as you can. So I'm very cautious of that. It's not a pleasant experience being on the receiving end. I have been. Um, and I think you have to, it's, so I think you can always use that as a reason. Um, I think it's more about dissecting the reasons as to why someone is pointing to that, because they're looking at it as a whole. Are they looking at that for the color scheme, for the structure, for how it served that place, so you can take the greater conceptual idea and apply it to what you have? I think for the most part, I come across that when someone has seen a Broadway production and now they want to do a regional production, but the space is different, the manpower is different, and the budget is certainly different. So your way around that is to say, I hear what you're saying, how can I make this my own and present something with that? I have yet to be in a place where I've been forced into it. Um, I have had only one experience where someone was really adamant and kept coming back to a set of costumes. And my way around it was two things. One, can you live with the visual aesthetic? And my answer to that was yes. And then two, um, my point was going to the producers and saying um, the only way that I will include that in my design is if I get the permission of that designer. And I happened to know and I approached them and I said, look, this is the production we're doing. Um, I'd say it was harder for me and you have to not take it personally and saying, yes, I can make this work within what I've already designed, I got her permission and I credited her in the program. So that set of costumes that was provided for the chorus in a specific piece was credited to her. Um, otherwise, to some degree, you're always going to have a give and take. And I think that's the hardest part, I would say, for most students coming out of school when uh, they may have done quite a lot of conceptual projects where without realizing they are the director, the casting director, kind of the actor and everything in between because they're drawing these costumes on people in postures that they imagine. They're presenting an idea of how this will work in the space. But as soon as you leave school and actually start, or even in school and start working on productions, you're going to have a director who's going to come with a concept. You're going to have... And even in the most collaborative form, it's not quite a democracy. At some point, someone has to have the final say. And in the right. pecking order, chances are, unless you're a team of co-artistic directors where one is functioning as the director and you as the designer, um, they're probably going to have the final say. So you can ask questions, you can try and influence. 
uh, above them would be the artistic director and they might be very hands-on and as soon as you go into commercial theater you have the producers and they are the people giving you the money so they definitely will have a say and sometimes they're hands-off and other times they're very much hands-on and you have to be able to work with that um, I think also and I I'm someone who talks to the actors so even if I'm working on and I'll say in a traditional process in the sense that I don't have the luxury to be part of a production where there are workshops so that the design is very much a conversation, an ongoing conversation, and it's more of a, we have this, but we can only afford to get the actors in the room for X amount of time. So the first time I've met them, the design is already done, the costumes are already done, we've already costed everything. Um, and those instances, I still will have a conversation with the performer because they've come at it from a different point of view. They might have an idea that I hadn't thought of. And frankly, if their idea is better than mine, I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, so what I mean is that you're always going to have to take on just a little bit of what other people see. And to some degree, I find it... I don't think there's an either all or nothing. Sometimes it can be frustrating if you don't feel that you're heard, but I also feel, again, going back to one of your previous questions about pushing yourself and pushing the boundaries, if I'm only going to do what's in my head and what I know and what I think this specific piece should have, I don't think I'm going to be very surprised at the end product. Um, and I would like to be. Part of the reason, besides personally not liking to act, not liking to be on stage, has to do with me liking or loving always to listen to stories. And one of the most wonderful things for me is that I can sit in the space, even on a show that I have worked on. And up until opening night, I'll be very concentrated on all the aspects that have to do with what I was tasked of doing and all the technical things. But as soon as opening night hits, um, I've always been able to let go. And even if I see things happening on stage that shouldn't be happening or things that go wrong, I've found that I can just sit back and just enjoy the show. And if I know exactly what's gonna happen because I have designed every single detail, then I lose that. I think one of the, probably one of the best, um, I don't know what to call it, but suggestions that was made to me during my studies was to leave gaps. I think we tend, just as people, not to do with our profession, if something is lacking or if there's a question, we tend to think of solutions. And his comment to me was, leave gaps. You don't have to think of everything. Sometimes it can be frustrating because sometimes people who you think it's job it is to answer certain questions aren't doing that, so you find yourself taking care of other things but uh you leave gaps leave gaps because then you know the director has something to say the actors have something to say your fellow designers have an input so that your final picture is something yes that you've contributed to that you can live with that you're happy with but that is also something new and interesting to you to see because certainly the way i feel about my work is that I ultimately want to see it realized and I want to experience it with an audience. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't end with the design, it ends with the realization and people's reaction to it. Um, 
I think maybe it's funny. The one thing that stuck in my mind is like, am I a sonographer or not? I think it's something that a term that people use if you're doing more than one aspect of design. For the most part, I would look at myself and uh, not so much describe what I do as a profession, but more as an approach. And I would like to think, I don't know if it's true, I think that's, again, something you'd have to ask people who've worked with me, as a more of a holistic approach, that you look at the story in its, in its entirety and then think, um, how do I tell that story? And sometimes being able to move between the mediums, I can suggest solutions, even for instance, if I'm only tasked with the set, I can suggest solutions that might come from the area of costume. Or I can ask the lighting designer. If sometimes, for instance, there was a show that we did that had a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Well, I can try and think of how to create that in costume or set, but I can also say, well, I wonder if I have floorboards and leave enough space between them. So if you could use lighting to emanate from that, or I could talk to the sound designer and say, is there some sort of sound or music that you can create? Because that's probably going to relate that idea in a much more profound way than I think I can provide in a tangible way of set and costume. So I think that would be an approach to take. And then again, that could also be an approach when someone has an idea and they've seen something to break it down and understand exactly what they're talking about. Okay. Um, I don't I, know if that answers your question. <laughs> I, I think there's, there's, there's an amazing amount of... Uh insight to to take away from what you what you've presented and what you said particularly the idea of leaving space and some of that is uh metaphorical space um where it's the unknown is okay it's it's a i i'm guilty of wanting to get i get really frustrated at people and be like why are you not doing this let us do this let's fix this let's get this done because it it, it drives it, and I it drives me bananas sometimes because I go look we can get through this if we just do this <laughs> and and oh man I have been I have been told many a time you know like in, in Frozen you gotta let it go some things you just yeah I, I I know I've I've become Disney references and and all sorts of craziness being around uh, students because. You know, sometimes what I've noticed is um, students can sometimes be a reflection of 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 me and my my behaviors, and and I realize that the, some days when I'm when I'm teaching, the 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 I I sometimes pass along that stress, and I go, wait a minute, I need to figure out how to to not necessarily do that because they need to be taught, they need they need to you know i point the way i don't do it for them but i i point the way uh but being a teacher has opened my eyes to a lot of the the really silly things that i that i'm that i've been doing i i obviously have a long way to go uh the the idea here you were talking about space as well and this was something that that came up in as part of a of an interesting idea that I heard in a, in a presentation where they were, where the, the person speaking talked about how, um, you know, a, a Greek theater, Roman theater, the, the vastness of it. And, you know, say you're doing, 
um, Euripides, for example, and you have all this space to do it. And then he said, okay, now you're doing Hamlet at the, uh, the Globe Theater. And he superimposed the, the Globe Theater on top of this Roman, Roman Greek theater. And the, the Rose Theater fit within just the, the small stage section of it. And his, and his argument was, or his presentation was, was that when a play is created and it's done for the first time in a particular space, it's meant to, it generally works in that space. So if you were to take Euripides and do it at the, at the, at the, at the globe, it would have the challenge because it doesn't have the space to, to move and grow and, and be the, the way that it was done and vice versa. And at first I thought, well, you know, that's kind of interesting because, okay, yes, it was created for this space, but we do plays, classic plays, whatever, in all sorts of different, different spaces. Shakespeare is done in high school auditoriums to, to, to large uh, regional theaters, and it's done in its, in, in its own way. And I would be curious to know what your feeling is about, about um, what, what, which is more, I don't know if it's important, but does the, does the, how does the space get dictated? Does the play, does the play dictate the space? Or does the space dictate the play? Um, well, I think for my part, I find, and sometimes it's a frustrating part, that unless you are part of the production team, I am very often on the receiving end in the sense that someone has thought of doing a production and they are now looking for someone with my skill set and they're basically offering me the opportunity to work as the designer, for this show and it's going up in this space and I am tasked with making it work within that budget and space effectively. Um, I think a large part of my job would then be um, problem solving. I mean, problem's not the right word because I think in any theatre, no matter what the budget is, there's a challenge there. But right, there's always a problem. How to make this work with these people who again are going to change because um, a lot has to do with attitude so how am I going to work with this group of people both on production and cast creatives in this space in this time frame under this budget so I've never really thought of that's impossible to do it's about how do I make it work so I definitely understand that point of view and perhaps my experience of a show that may have been written with the intention of being performed in a certain space will be experienced by me in a different way when it isn't performed in that space. And maybe I will have a much more uh, visceral experience. I might feel that that production was at a level that, for want of a better word, higher, better. But, um, the way I see it, I haven't yet turned down an offer because I have thought that the space that has been chosen is not the right space to show it in. Mm -hmm. um, if a play dictates um, a fortunate amount of people and scenery because that is what the stage notes say, 
and I can't put that in the space, um, again, I break it down to what I think, you know, the, the bigger idea is, what am I trying to convey and how do I convey that in the space and circumstances that I'm facing. Um, I think it comes down really to a principle of what do I need? What is the minimum that I need to tell the story? And why, and why was it that that was dictating that space? Because also I think our sensitivities change, you know, going from something, and I think even here in the States where, you know, maybe up until a certain time there was a very, and, and I think in many countries you can see these tides where there was a very strong emphasis on realism and then there was a very strong emphasis on conceptual take on things. Um, influences very often the way we see things. So maybe my experience of the same play would be different depending on the space I'm in, but um, maybe I'm just ignorant when it comes to that. But so far in my experience, I've just taken the space that I have, irrespective of whether it's a space that was intended for theater, whether it was a found space, um, with the means that I have at my disposal and come up with at least one proposal to how I think this could be performed, answering the prerequisites of that piece and taking into consideration um, other people's opinion and I mean it's something that we don't bring up often because we always talk about the play or the dance or the music but sometimes it's about how many people can I fit in the space mm -hmm. and it's a very real thing because if I want to design the next show and the show after that I know that there has to be a certain amount of revenue or uh, it's got nothing to do with that maybe they're not selling tickets they're giving them away but they want to make this play accessible to as many people as possible which is, um, I think, a noble cause in itself. So that's also going to be, um, it's also going to have an effect on how you present this show. Um, I, yeah, I, I would love to be able to just reconfigure a space to the way I think it could be done best. But it, I haven't had that luxury, so I just make it work. Is that is that the the convention that you'd like to to break? It's just like I want to dictate the space. I want to put the audience wherever I want to be. Is that is that is that what you're? Is that well, what? Think... what, what is, <laughs> is that understand. the thing that is that the thing that would provide sort of a freedom? Is there? Is, I mean, because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like sometimes in, in what you were talking about, there have to be so many people, or this is the revenue, or or something like which which is important, obviously, because we all have to pay our bills and, and survive and things like that. But what do you think would give you freedom? Uh, I get, I don't, again, I don't know if that's the right word either, but what would give you the, 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 the ability to, to, you know, not be, feel like you're stifled or, you know, it's just like, I can breathe. I can, I can, I can live into this space. Well, I, I think anything really, I mean, when I was bringing up uh, the monetary value, I didn't, don't necessarily think it's always a constraint. And, um, having assisted some designers on uh, million dollar pound or shows 
uh, dollar shows or, or pound shows, um, you find that you know you can be assigned a five million dollar budget, and lo and behold, you need a real five and a half to realize that. So I don't think it's necessarily about money or scope. Um, I think we all are encouraged when we go to school uh, not to think about constraints, and that's about encouraging your creativity. Um, I don't think that having constraints is a bad thing, because if everything is always possible, then you never really arrive at a decision. For me, when I think about constraints, maybe that's a wrong word because it has a negative connotation, and that's not what I mean. Um, even in the largest space possible, you might think, oh my God, they're going to disappear. So how do I make this an intimate space? Or how do I make this an intimate experience? And um, you're going to have to think about how you make that happen without necessarily building a theatre because you don't have the budget to then start building the walls in that. So it's uh, maybe it's a promenade where something goes on. So the audience, if you like, create that intimate space, even though it's a huge, vast hall that you're in. Maybe it's about, again, talking to your other designers and saying, well, if I have sound coming from that corner of the room, it's going to pull my attention there so I can make that space or lighting. Um, and yes, there's a certain amount of building I can do and there's a certain amount of color and form that I could use uh, that will also create that sense either of very big space or very tiny space. For me, I think the least amount of constraints is when I'm heard. You know, when I'm, I feel like an equal contributor to the conversation. So even if, yes, there is a final decision maker, which ultimately is the director, the artistic director, the producer, you felt that you've been heard. You felt that um, you have some sense of ownership over what's going on there. You feel like when you have that conversation with an actor, there's a give and take. And no one is simply putting their foot down and saying, this is what this person is going to wear. This is what's going to happen. This is what where things are going to be. And this is how they're going to look. Um, sometimes I do work as an assistant and then my job is to realize someone else's idea. And sometimes if I'm working as, I haven't done that in years, it was one of my first jobs, as a stage art or a craftsperson, then that is my task. This is what you want to create and this is what I do to get there. Um, when I'm consulted as a designer, then I want to be part of the bigger idea. So for me, uh, those are the situations where I have the most freedom where I'm part of that conversation. The physical aspects of what space I'm in, um, whether or not the people I'm working with are experienced performers or have never performed in their life, um, whether or not I have a huge budget or a small budget. No, I mean, sometimes I think over there it becomes frustration if the expectation of it, it isn't, doesn't correlate with the means that I have at my disposal. And yes, there's a certain amount of creativity that can go into that, but at some point, realism sets in and there's only so far you can go. So if, again, but if I have that conversation, if I have that mutual respect in terms of what I can do um, in those circumstances, then I'm fine. I think it breaks down when the wants and needs of people don't uh, correspond to each other. Okay, well, let me ask you this. This might be a little bit off the beaten path, but um, this has become uh, a, an issue in the forefront of, of, of American society. 
is this is the the social movements of mm-hmm. of diversity of inclusion of gender awareness uh things like that and i know that for a while everything seemed to be very i don't know very again that I, I mean no disrespect to the <laughs> people who are listening to this but i've always i, I felt that it, you know the fields were very male dominated and it was this this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it and i i just had a, a fantastic conversation with uh with jim streeter who is the production manager and lighting designer at princeton university and i had asked him about an article that was uh in the telegraph uh newspaper of last year in august i believe it was i i don't have it in front of me but it was talking about uh the discriminate discriminatory nature of lighting and scenery and costume that it had been that it was very european centric very you know white people centric and there is as as i said within the last year few years there's a huge huge cultural shift a huge conversation that has that has come along and and i'm curious to know how do you how do you feel or work within that or how has it changed you how you know i i don't know what your 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 experiences are necessarily in your everyday i don't know what the what 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 are the challenges that you face but i can probably guess that from when you first came to the states to this many years later there's probably been a huge swath of 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 noticeable change um and i was wondering how do you feel about that or, or what 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 does it mean to you so I think it's definitely made me a lot more aware living here uh, than anywhere else I have lived. Um, I think for me, the way I have felt it has been more about being female in this business, and uh, especially when it comes to scenery. Um, I'm more aware of the color issue or where you come from, although in the States, uh, I'm kind of also a foreigner. I mean, the whole introduction of black and white and being judged by the color of my skin, as weird as it sounds, was new to me coming here. And having to accept that that's how people uh, look at me, only to find out that there's a third instance, and I'll get to that. It's a little irrelevant to your particular question. So I'm still trying to figure out where I fit in as far as the American society is concerned. In terms of theater, and that um, hasn't changed that much, unfortunately. I find as a female working in the industry, uh, when it comes to set, certainly things are explained to me. I can go to a shop and I will have a design and I will be told what is possible in my design and what is not. Now, there's a certain conversation that happens with a shop because you have a visual representation, but there's a big difference between having a conversation of this is what you would like to see, we can go about it this way or that way, or these are certain constructual things that we have to take into account, and would it be okay if this happened or that happened versus this is what can happen, or this is what that uh, image is going to look like because we're doing it with a stencil and we cannot possibly do those thin branches and as a female in the industry you can't you find well you can but it's not always conducive to the final result if you answer in that same manner and you have to go about it with questions and 
playing a little dumb sometimes and saying, well, could we perhaps try this? Or how about we use that stencil and then we use the little thin brush for those things. It's very much of being explained to and as opposed to having a conversation on the same level of respect. Um, I also find, and it's the oddest thing, I can be designing both certain costumes for the same production. And it's a small production. We can all fit around one table. And um, in this regard, I think there's a difference approach between scenery and costume. And someone has suggested that it might be that costume is very often thought of as uh, mostly female versus costume as male, which is not so true because you definitely see a lot of male costume designers. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I will essentially be treated more... <laughs> There'll be more respect for the design aspect in scenery in the sense that I will come with my reference, I will come with my drafting, I might come with a model as well, and that will be sent out to bid. And there will be the expectation of me overseeing that. But there will be, you know, the shop and the carpenter and the uh, electrician and the um, engineer, and there'll be the scenic painter and the builders and so forth. And yet same production, designing costumes, I will be handed a sewing machine and an ironing board. Really? Um, I will be handed essentially a budget and I'm a kind of mini production manager because I will be tasked with finding, if I am not going to be building that myself, I will be tasked with sourcing the materials or finding the people to do it within the, within the budget I have been given. So I definitely see that and that's um, that happens quite a lot. Um, sometimes... Yeah, so I, I've, I've experienced more uh, from uh, the aspect of gender in the industry. Okay. In terms of European-centric or not, um, again, my first introduction to theatre was in England. So in general, even though people coming to England didn't necessarily, weren't necessarily English or European, the majority were. Um, I think being here in the States and just being made more aware of it because it's all around you and certainly afterwards coming to New York, um, I think it dawned on me once when someone asked me if I knew anyone of African-American descent who was a scenic designer and I could think of lighting designers I knew and costume designers but I couldn't think of anyone I knew in scenic design and that's when it first dawned on me to actually notice um, so I've become more aware of it that way. Um, I think, to be honest, and, um, you know, having, again, having to answer that question, I think I'll take away with me having to be more aware of that. I think maybe I've just been so consumed with trying to fight my corner as a female in the industry that um, I haven't looked beyond that. Um, I don't know if my ethnicity has anything to do with it I know that most people when they see me will not see me as an Israeli I think most people when they hear me speak will not think that um, I don't know if once they learn that it has any effect um, I haven't been aware of it so far anyway um, but yeah I mean the main battle that I find is is being female in the industry <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think... finding finding a way of how to negotiate that in a way where I can still be myself, but fight my corner, if that makes right. sense. 
I think I think there are there are many different levels of battles to to be had. Um, I think some of them are cosmetic. I think some of them are just like this is what it is on the surface. But do, does does that person have talent? Does does it really matter? You know, if they're this gender, that gender, whatever color skin they mean, is do they have talent? If they have talent, then take that into consideration. Um, Just before I continue, I mean, for me personally, um, if I do work with people, it's not even, it's kind of, yeah, talent is great and great work is great. Um, I would say the attitudes and in terms of people, if I do ever get a choice to work with people or to recommend people, um, usually it's about my experience with them. Uh, when I think about it now, some people who have assisted me, some of them have been male, some of them have been female, um, working in schools when you come across, I mean, not that you don't, but in general, you have so many international students here uh, in the city that you um, start seeing beyond that because really what you're concentrating on is their work and what they give you. Um, again, being a teaching artist and going into schools in different neighborhoods and different areas, um, you learn very quickly uh, to at least be aware that all of us have hidden biases, which is a weird thing, because if it's hidden, how do you become aware of it? But when you do, to kind of stop yourself and think and uh, not repeat that same behavior. Um, so yeah, definitely working with young people from different socioeconomic backgrounds um, has taught me that. Um, I don't know about, but I can definitely see where that's happening in the industry. Um, I, I would never say I understand when it comes to ethnicity because um, if I haven't experienced it myself, um, I could say that I can be empathetic to that. I can try my best to recognize it so that I don't make that mistake towards people. Um, but as far as my personal experience, I can only really attest to my experience as being female in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, it was uh, it was interesting um, uh, I, when I first when I first moved here. Uh, I I am a minority here, uh, first and foremost. Um, the it was it was very interesting because I didn't have a name because. Everyone said, "Hey, white boy, uh, come over here," <laughs> which, which was totally fine because it made sense. It was made sense. They don't know who I am, but but as an American, I'm like, "Wait, whoa, hold on, wait a second. But again, it took me a while to be like, "It's not said in a in a mean way," and, and and things like that, because that the way that people refer to one another here is obviously African American is not a thing that's used here. You're you're Trini. You're a red man. You're uh, you're you're black. You're Chinese. Again, these are terms that they use because of the the, the mixture of uh, of people. And I think the the challenge, the the big challenge that I, I find facing here, is the the idea of, of of being grander than yourself. It's there there has not been a a program. That it's allowed students to explore these different fields, and part of it is, you know, the the history of of the country from being um, under French rule and then Spanish and then uh, English uh, uh, in the Commonwealth, and this struggle for identity. You know, 
Trinidad has only been out of the Commonwealth since 61. And so th th there's a huge learning curve that's, that's taking place here. Uh, one of the things that I have always appreciated about the arts in general uh, is a certain amount of its inclusiveness. For, for all its faults, for some of the, the really horrible things that even we suffer from, whether it be gender bias, uh, identity bias, things like that, there, there is at least a more a greater sense of inclusion where it's okay for, for, for kids who, are, who perceive themselves as, as different to come into, into, uh, into what, we are, what we are doing because it's an outlet. You know, not everybody wants to play, you know, uh, European football. Not everybody wants to play the steel pan. Not everybody wants to, you know, work in a bank. Nothing wrong with those things. But, you know, where is the opportunity to be greater than yourself? Um, the other thing that uh, I find is a good window, and you may, may experience this as well, is when, when, you, when, you, when you meet little children, you know, the, the, set, the six, seven, eight-year-old little children, and they see they don't see you as oh you're this foreign person sure you're different for about 30 seconds and then they want to tell you about everything or they want to show you something or you do something and it totally blows their mind it's like oh wow that's so great when are you coming back and to me that i like that feeling and i wish i could get adults or the the university students i have to every so often try and hold on to a little bit of that um, maybe, again, maybe that's wistful or wishful uh, thinking on my part, but um, I know that there has been a great benefit to to being in this really crazy, weird field, um, and you know, find find I guess my place in which I never felt really in place. Again, you know, working in a business or running a register or you know doing something that. You know, I, I could never conceive of myself doing. Um, again, I I'm hesitant to speak for minorities that I'm not a part of because um, while I can maybe understand it on an intellectual level, uh, if I haven't been in that situation myself, I don't think I could ever comprehend it. I think what it's given me working uh, in education and in theater is a sense of empathy to understand that there's certain things that if they are an issue for someone, if they bother someone, it doesn't matter if I understand it or not. I have to accept it. And I have to think about, is there anything I can do as an individual to support them in changing the circumstances or adjusting my behavior, as long as, you know, I mean, it sounds logical and it's not hurting anyone, to include them uh, in that uh, field that they want to be in. Um, in terms of me, I mean, it's an odd one. I've kind of felt, even though um, I am Israeli and I grew up there all my life, I've always been an immigrant. We've always been new. Um, it was really only going through my entire education and the army service that I could then feel that I had the right to turn around to people and if anyone questioned it to say, no, I am an equal citizen as anyone mm -hmm. else and I deserve to be here. I have paid my dues. Um, when it comes to other countries, sometimes it's, it's very easy not to feel included. Um, sometimes it's purely because of the law. Sometimes it's because, for instance, there are certain 
I think it's certain networks who will not employ you if you do not have a green card. The fact that I'm here legally, the fact that I have a work permit is irrelevant, even though that is in the arts. So um, automatically you're excluded to some degree and it is their prerogative. Um, the fact that someone might take uh, reservation to the fact of where I come from or how I sound like or what I look like, I can't control that. Uh, for me personally, I'm always very aware that I am a guest in this country. I have been a guest in England, I've been a guest in Australia. So um, while I would like to feel totally equal to everyone else around me, I think I've always been aware of, a bit like when you go visiting and you are a guest, to kind of make sure that you're on the best behavior and not to have that expectation. It's nice if it happens. But I'm always aware that I am a guest here. That while I've been welcomed in, <laughs> I am not entirely equal. So I don't dwell on it. I don't think about it. You know, if I've been offered the job, as far as I'm concerned, you've offered me that because you have seen something in what I can do. Uh, sometimes you're aware of the fact that you have been offered the job because the person they want to work with is unavailable and you just get over it because the fact is, well, you, you can't focus on that. It just draws you down. Um, so I just get on with it myself. Um, I think I've become more sensitive to how other people are feeling. I think uh, what I would hope is that if I do see some injustice being done or lack of sensitivity, that I will have um, the initiative to speak up on behalf of someone uh, with their consent. And, you know, even if it isn't the popular thing to do, I would hope that I'm that person. Um, I haven't been faced with that yet, so I don't know. Um, well, one time I did. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think I think it's just a growing awareness of um, of people in the industry, and and hopefully that in my behaviour and in how uh, I interact, I can hopefully, uh, if you like, take a step back and say, here is space for you to take a step forward. And if I see anything, speak up about it. Um, in terms of an institution, uh, again, I mean, that's the age-old argument about, you know, do you make certain concessions or do you just say it's talent? Because it's one thing to say, look, they're talented, but if you haven't been giving people a fair opportunity up until now, um, can you really say to them, well, you just haven't reached that level yet where we can employ you, but you haven't given them that opportunity to reach that level. So right. it's, yes, I want to work with, you want to give those people and say work based on talent, but is there also some sort of room to give someone who hasn't had that opportunity and not at any fault of theirs a leg up? And if it is, what is that? So yeah, it's, I think that's an age old argument. <laughs> And I don't know what the solution is. I, I, I agree. I don't think there, there is no obvious solution. There is no easy solution. Um, I, I, I totally believe that greater minds have, have wrestled with this. And yet 
we still struggle with the with the same challenges. Um, I I wrote down what you said. I am equal. I deserve to be here, and I'm gonna chew on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna really think about that because I no, I think it's important. I think it's I you know there there are certain things that I take for granted, and um, you know when you know maybe it's me. Maybe I I don't think too much about it other you know i go to another country and i'm there for a little while and i go somewhere else and i you know once i finally figure out the ropes the routine it's like okay i can i can fit within it i i um this is what i do but i'm i'm painfully aware of of the times where i go i don't fit in here i'm i'm this isn't this isn't my 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 place um and i know that I've said many a time that uh, I'm still looking for this idea, this thing called home, you know, because I've I haven't I've lived in rented apartments for for many, many years and nothing where it said this is the spot. You know, it's like you, you go, aha, OK, there it is right there, right there. I'm going to stay right there, you know, and I don't know if that's a function of I'm just scared to to, to settle down. Or it's I have this insatiable curiosity and I don't want to be tied down to to something in particular. Um, I uh, and and I agree I agree with 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 that struggle because um, I see it in myself um, whether or not I I talk about it but I know that it's a it's an important thing but I don't want you to feel as though um, America doesn't welcome you I think. You've been there. I feel like that's what makes America great, in my in my mind. I don't care what what all this noise and all this crap that's been that's been going on lately. I think that's that eventually that ignorance is going to get hammered away at some point and 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 put it back in its place where where it belongs, because I think it's we're doing America is doing a disservice to itself if it if it divides itself. I think it's I think it's a shame. I think. We miss out on the things that make 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 it special. Um, and I'm not like trying to be like, "Yay, America! It's the greatest place on earth." Because it's not. It's it sucks sometimes. It has its problems. You know, it's like you 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 uh, you see your your neighbor friends and you they think that you the you think oh they have a great life. Everyone gets along. They're happily married. Da 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 da. And then you know when when no one's looking. They're fighting with each other. They're they're they have problems. They have they have challenges and, and things like that. And you know, I mean, I don't want to, to turn this into a kind of like a a, a, a downer conversation because I, I, I no 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 that um just if I can just butt in for one second. Um, I was not talking about America. Like when I say that you know I feel that I am equal and I deserve to say that was more about living in Israel and saying that's where I feel confident enough to say it. Um, okay. In terms of me being a guest in other countries. Um, it's not specific to America. I think any country you go to, there are certain limitations, and I totally support that. If you are not a full citizen, then yes, there are certain prerequisites that you are allowed to stay in a certain country if you fulfill. So I totally accept that. Um, and my issue about the gender gap in, in terms of my profession, it's something that is not unique to here. It's something that I felt in, in other countries. I think living here has just made me more aware of it. And I don't think in a bad way. I think, you know, going back to when we first started talking about moving from country to country and being aware of other people and their circumstances, I think it's made me more sensitive to that. 
Um, and I will say, again, not to go into politics, but with everything going on here, and it has been a little nerve-wracking. I mean, having to apply for this extension and talking to my friends, there were extra questions asked. The, pr the process was a lot longer than it was three years ago. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely more aware. And even though maybe the color of my skin and my nationality hasn't been the forefront of any immigrant legislation so far, I'm very well aware that it might just be because no one has reached the letter of my visa alphabet yet. Um, having said that, I will say that this is not the first country I've applied to stay in, but this is the first country that has opened the door to me. So with everything that's being said and hurled at this country, um, please don't make a mistake in terms of me saying what I'm saying here. It's more of a personal level when I talk about uh, being female in the industry, when I talk about the sense of belonging. Um, this country is the only country that has opened the door for me. I apply to others. I have family living in another country where I am the last remaining relative. And if I want to get in, a couple of years ago, the waiting list was 56 years. I think now it's down to 17. Oh my God. Um, and they are not in the news. And America opened the door. And I do not, my uh, being here as well, it's also very unique. I think it's unique because I don't know of, and again, I haven't applied to the entire world, but um, you have an opportunity to stay here as an artist. And the grounds to get it is, it's not, well, show us what you can do in a year or show us what you've done. Yes, if you are an Oscar winner or a Tony Award winner or some sort of Nobel Prize winner, um, it's a lot easier for you to maintain. But the prerequisites for me being here, yes, um, and that's that's a catch when it comes to theatre because, again, you've got to understand that the people sitting behind the desk don't know every single profession that is out there. So just as very often you will get a job based on your marks at school, which doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at that job, um, so they have a, a way of looking for awards or achievements, which sometimes doesn't quite work with the nature of the business or the work that we do. Not everything you do, um, I think, should be geared towards, am I going to get this award or not? And you really don't have control over it because even in the business side of things, um, there are just so many more components and it's also about well what do I want to do with my life and sometimes I want to work on a project which has no relation whatsoever to that um, and that's what they give you they give you an opportunity to basically say show us what you've done show us what you can do show us that you're progressive us that you are a level above average that you have some sort of extraordinary ability that is worthwhile for us to keep you here so yes there are huge challenges and it is um, nerve-wracking to put all that together and some of the work that I take on I have to keep that in the back of my mind but no other country has done that for me mm. this country has so yes with all the hurdles and the challenges it puts in front of you it still opened a door where other countries did not so um, I am grateful for that. And I think that what I'm saying in terms of your 
social background, I think could be said in other countries as well. It's just very noticeable here, especially I've noticed in New York, just because there are so many people from so many different countries. And I think because it's also come to the forefront of um, the agenda in this country. So you're a lot more aware of it. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I think in an odd sort of way, it was always there, but because of particular circumstances, it's made people more aware and no one can just pretend that it's something that happens in the margins and as uncomfortable as it is. And um, maybe it's a good thing that we are faced with it and have to figure something out, even if we can't say, okay, this is the solution, let's just follow A, B, C and we'll be fine. But it forces you to at least consider um, what that change needs to be and how you might go about it, if that makes sense. I, I think it does. I think it does. Um, if, if, you could, if you could make a change or bring some light to something that you would like to see altered or changed or, or get some attention, what do you think that would be? That's an unfair question. There's so much stuff going on. <laughs> well, okay, um, all right. Um, it, how about this? How about this? Uh, let me narrow it down. If, uh, if you could, in, 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 your professional, in your professional life, if there is something, something in, your, in, in your world that you could, you could snap your fingers and, uh, and, and make a little bit better for everyone, what do you think that would be? Look better for everyone. I don't know how to answer that without sounding cliche. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's your answer. I, I think. Well, uh, mutual respect is is a good. I think a good starting point. Um, I think uh, some. Acquiring or supporting some sense of accountability. Um, and I think giving people the benefit of the doubt, being open. You spoke about it a bit uh, earlier on in terms of, or um, uh, well, I did, about understanding what people mean when they say what they say and understanding that we're each coming with, uh, irrespective of whether we're aware of it or not, a certain amount of baggage and some of it's personal and some of it is uh, something that you can relate to more on a more global level as being part of a section of society. Um, I'd say, uh, again, I mean, tolerance is such a, I, I don't even like that word because it, it kind of sounds as if um, you're making an effort to allow someone in, you're tolerating them. And I think this is, I think maybe acceptance is a better word. I don't know. Um, I think for me, really, it comes down to mutual respect, sort of respect um, my point of view and my input, irrespective. And I don't, again, I mean, I think maybe it's premature of me to expect now, but irrespective of the sound of my accent or what my passport says or my gender. Um, I think that's a very tall order. <laughs> maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, yeah, uh, and I mean, it's always like that, because on the one hand, you want to be 
accepted like everyone else, but you want to be accepted and still maintain your identity. And by maintaining right. my identity to some degree, I'm still saying there's something unique to me. So how do you become an equal part of society but still retain something that is you? And part mm. of you is not just your personal personality. Part of you is your collective memory from a country you come from, a religion you're born into, irrespective of whether you practice or believe it, and circumstances of where you grew up. Um, I don't think I've answered your question. <laughs> it's, it, it's okay, because you know what that means? It means it leaves room for the next time we, we have a conversation. There, you see, I leave gaps. <laughs> Uh, exactly there you go we've we've the circle is now semi-complete because we've left we've left an opening (laughs) thank you so much of course of course um before before we uh before we put a, a a a button on this um is there anything you would like to to tell people about something you're working on um where they might uh be able to find you so that they can see your fantastic work uh, my elevator speech? Not quite my elevator speech. What am I working on? Well, currently I am working on the opera Albert Herring, which is scheduled to open on the 11th of April, uh, Upper West Side, Manhattan School of Music. And simultaneously, I am working on a uh, workshop production for two to five-year-olds with the trusty sidekick theater that is scheduled to open at the Lincoln Center Education on the 6th of April. So those are the two most uh, present productions and information on the work that I have done so far is probably at my website, maureenfriedman.com. And my guess is uh, probably on the websites of those companies, the sooner we, we get to it. So, yeah. That's me. <laughs> At, and that's just a, a small glimpse of you, you know? That's, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, who, thank you for sticking with us, for, uh, for listening uh, to this wonderful conversation. We, we may not have talked all about theater, and that's, not, and that's not the point about this. The point is to have a conversation. It's about talking about things that affect us, and wherever that may go, it goes. So I want to say I am grateful. I have the utmost gratitude to Miss Maureen Friedman for for the for her time from her from her studio, her very <laughs> palatial <laughs> studio in, in in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, uh, and I hope you're staying warm because I know that it's uh, probably been beastly cold there lately. It has been. I'm waiting for February to be over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I could, I could, I can vouch for for here in Trinidad being close to the equator. Every day is pretty much a warm day. So if you if you find yourself getting lost and looking for a tropical place, stop you by. know you can, you yeah, stop and by. We'll have a few drinks. <laughs> we'll have some laughs. It'll be a good. Time. All right. Thank you so, so much, Richard. This has been lovely. Absolutely. All right. Hey, everyone. 
Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener-supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.